a podcast for the end of the end of time. With your host, Phil Ristino. Hello, good day, blessings and greetings to all sentient beings with ears who have happened upon this podcast on this fine day. It is I, your host, Phil Restino, and you have found the Post-Relevant Podcast. Now, what the hell is the Post-Relevant Podcast, you may be asking yourself. Well, that is quite a fine question indeed. I don't think I could totally answer that question right away with uh, a series of words. <laughs> um, the Post-Relevant Podcast is an opportunity for me, your host, Phil, to explore and discuss all of the crazy things that I've learned in my many years out in the world, uh, whether they be subjects metaphysical or artistic, spiritual, or fantastic, cryptic, or rhythmic, musical, or filmic. The Post-Relevant Podcast is an opportunity for me to delve deeper into the mysteries, the joy, and the befuddlement of our experiences here on the planet Earth in this day and age. The post-relevant movement was a joke movement that I created with a friend while I was in a theater company in Prague in 1994, I believe. Um, We were just fucking around and we came up with this fake um, artistic movement that was sort of like the Dadaists or the Surrealists or the Futurists or what have you. Um, and I came up with the words, the post-relevant movement. And it was the movement to end all movements. It was a movement that was over before it started. It was a movement for the end of the end of time. And if you look outside the window or you look into the window of your computer or your television screen or you peer into the windows of the soul, (laughs) the eyes of anyone that you might meet on the street or in a bar or a grocery store or any other liminal space that you might come across on this green earth, you'll be all too aware that we are nearing the end of the end of time for sure. The chaos and the craziness that has arisen on this planet worldwide is undeniable. You can see it. You can feel it. You can smell it. And you certainly do know it as you trepidatiously step outside of your own home and face the cataclysmic and all-too-perplexing events of world history as it unfolds in front of us in real time. 
So in my opinion, there is no better time to roll back out the old post-relevant movement than this time right now. The end of the end of time. Plus, I was kind of bored, you know, sitting around in my house, watching YouTube, wondering what the fuck I'm going to do with my life <laughs> as everything seems to collapse in on itself day by day. There's something gnawing at me, pulling at my soul. Truths I had to speak? I don't know, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not truths. Absurdities to explore and understand. A world that seems to have turned upside down. Who are we now? What is this society? Either countrywide, worldwide, state by state, town by town, city by city. It's hard to know. Many opinions about the right way to live now. Many forces at play. And many, many mysteries being revealed to us all day by day, night by night, minute by minute. It's truly a remarkable time to be alive. Now, people often say that kind of thing how amazing it is to be in these times. I'll admit it doesn't always feel amazing. Often it is fucking terrifying. Sometimes it's just plain perplexing and often it is profoundly banal and soul-crushing. But sometimes when you really look at it as it all unfolds in front of us, it's unbelievable, isn't it? What's happening to this world? What are we turning into? Humanity is evolving at an exponential rate and we are blossoming forth into our own eternal souls manifested on these physical bodies on this planet. The opportunities for us to make choices, prof profound, bold choices on this world now, choices that will define our lives, choices that will change our relationships, choices that will create new realities entirely. The opportunities are abundant for such extreme choices for every human here must make choices to survive and choices to learn to thrive, to expand. No matter what the limitations that are placed in front of us, humans must grow. Humans will learn. Humans will explore. Humans will experience life. Humans will gain wisdom either by hook 
or by crook through victory or defeat. That is what wisdom is, experience. Knowledge through experience. Gnosis, the experience of God directly. And if God is everything, then anything that you experience on this planet, you could say you are experiencing God itself in one way or another, and you are gaining gnosis. You are gaining knowledge of the divine as it manifests second by second into this reality. It's true. Don't be afraid. This is a grand time. These hard times will cause us all to grow, to change, to evolve, to wilt or be bold. The hard times will show you who you are. And if you don't like who you are, they will challenge you to become who you must be. Have faith. We will persevere. Humanity will know victory. And we will be all united again someday soon. Believe. Or don't believe. Do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> that is the post-relevant way. A movement for the end of the end of time. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Who do you find yourself becoming? What choices will you make in these days? The tests are here. You pass? Will you fail? Will you walk away from the desk before the time is up? Break the lead in your pencil and burn the school down to the ground. What will you do? These are the days of the post-relevant movement. And this is the post-relevant podcast. Thank you. My eternal thanks and gratitude to all who care to listen. I will try my best not to let you down. This I swear. Two twenty two. One, two, one, two. Yeah, because it didn't look like
show half in the bag by uh, red letter media um, there are a few guys out of I think they're from Wisconsin and um, they kind of have this sort of anti critique way of talking about films and Hollywood and uh, they're kind of nihilistic in their approach they also love bad movies um, but they appreciate good ones too. And I think, um, when they find a really good one, they'll do, you know, a review of it and talk about, uh, its merits. And so, um, we both, uh, watched this episode that they did about the film Under the Silver Lake. Under the Silver Lake is a film 
written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. I believe it came out in 2018, starring Andrew Garfield. Uh, it's a film about a, a sort of um, a slacker ne'er-do-well in the modern age. Actually, the time period it actually takes place in is 2011, I guess. And um, this guy just seems to be coasting through life and gets caught up in a bizarre conspiracy after he becomes obsessed with one of his neighbors in his apartment complex, uh, sort of this sort of angelic blonde with a dog. She disappears after he meets her and has sort of an intimate evening of revelation with her. And she just up and disappears. And so this guy who is never named in the film, he has no name, and seems to have no job, no point of being in Los Angeles, spirals out into following a bizarre conspiracy in an attempt to uncover where his obsession, this woman, has disappeared to and to solve the mysteries of the hidden messages inside the the song Turning Teeth by the band Jesus and the Brides of Dracula. All the while avoiding the mysterious dog killer whose graffiti seems to be following him through the city as he stumbles like a fool headlong into this modern noir. Anyway, it looked like an interesting movie. And Andy got to it first. He watched it first. I had been meaning to watch it, but I just didn't get to see it. Um, it had been buried pretty much by uh, the production company that put it out, A24. I don't know why. It's a brilliant movie. There's so much to it. And as often happens with great works of art, Sometimes the studios don't understand them or the powers that be that run Hollywood don't like them. <laughs> and these works of art get buried and just fall onto the scrap pile of the obscure. Being uh, in the arts, an actor, I'm an actor, I'm a visual artist, I'm a musician. Uh, in my modest way, I know the efforts that it takes to just to mount a play or to write a song and record a song or to finish a single illustration is often sometimes an almost insurmountable amount of work and very often these are things you're doing for free. So I wonder for the filmmaker, David Robert Mitchell, what kind of lengths he must have had to go through to write and direct this film. Surely it had millions of dollars for a budget. It had a star and Andrew Garfield, um, Riley Keough, who plays the, the mysterious disappearing woman, um, has the pedigree of being the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. Um, Lots of brilliant actors in this film. All these wonderful 
esoteric locations in LA, a brilliant script, brilliantly filmed, a movie laden with secret codes, literally written into the scenes in the backgrounds of this film. This movie is far more than meets the eye. And I wonder what the director must have felt as he watched his passion project, his incredible, utterly detailed creation of film buried and thrown off into obscurity. It must have broken his heart. But we still have the internet, don't we? So nothing truly ever dies anymore. Nothing ever really dies, as the band Nerd says. And you could go on to Amazon and buy a digital copy of this movie for four bucks. You can buy the film, not even rent it. I've bought it, and I've watched it a bunch of times now. And I am utterly blown away by what I have found inside of this film. Not only is it laden with language codes throughout the film that the internet has gone on, Reddit, what have you, have gone on to begin to decipher, but um, there is an esoteric language woven throughout the entire narrative. And if you do not see it, you will not understand this movie. And one day, while Andy and I were re-watching the film, I saw it. There was one moment as the protagonist and another important character were about to skinny dip into the Silver Lake itself. I noticed one of the character's clothes, some other details, and suddenly I was like, oh... There's alchemical symbolism in this movie. Not only is there a written secret codes, but there is a, a visual language of alchemical coding, of mythological coding that has been transcribed into every image, every minute of this film. And the filmmaker, in my opinion, is asking the film watcher to solve the riddle he places in front of us. Just as Sam, I mean, that's what IMDb says, his name is Sam, but no one ever calls him by his name. Just as our character is stumbling through the layers of society in Los Angeles and Silver Lake specifically, trying to solve his own personal mysteries and maybe conquer some demons, we, the viewer, are asked, can we see this movie clearly? There's a billboard that he comes upon at certain points in the film with a beautiful woman's face and five contact lenses in a row, and it says, I can see clearly now and each time that billboard is presented to the viewer, the question is asked, can you see clearly now? Can you? Do you know what you're looking at? 
Have you looked all the way under the Silver Lake? I have. At least I'm still trying to. And as I've spent time watching every minute of this film and writing down notes, I took initially at least 45 pages of notes on this movie. Now, this is not a thing I've ever done in my life. Ever. But I am interested in codes and symbolism in films and secret stories inside of stories. I like this form of storytelling. It's fun for me. It's fun. Remember fun? I still remember it. And so, as I've delved into this movie, bit by bit, piece by piece, line by line, the things that I've found inside of it are staggering me. This is a profound work of art. It is not a Hollywood movie, though it is about Hollywood and the secrets that lie inside of the holy wood itself, the magic wand that gives, gives us our modern stories, our modern myths, the magic wand that befuddles our eyes, the magic wand that is used to teach us new histories, new ways of seeing the world, and perhaps to teach us the wrong things, as much as it seems to pre present us ideals and myths writ large on the silver screen. Silver screen? Why is it silver? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why is the screen silver? <laughs> At any rate, as we delve bit by bit into this movie, my brother Andy and I are uncovering an incredible number of mysteries and myths and magical spells that are woven into this brilliant story. This incredible film, Under the Silver Lake. And I, it is my mission to show you, to show you what is really hidden inside of this modern noir. That's hard to say, modern noir. But I've seen it. I've seen the truth and I can't go back. I can't go back. I often wish I could, but it's too late for me. So, intrepid listener, this is your last chance. Save yourself. Save yourself or dive into the Silver Lake and learn the mysteries. You will be forever changed. Are you brave enough? I think you are. This particular episode is sort of an introduction to the podcast. Um, and uh, what you're about to hear is a short conversation that my brother Nanny and I had. I say short, but I think it's an hour long. <laughs> um, before we began to rewatch the film again, um, just sort of to, dis to discuss our uh, theories around what might be going on with this film, what we think we might find. And um, it's interesting to hear this and then 
hopefully you'll like it and you'll decide to take this journey with me. And um, the shit that I uncover, man, <laughs> it's blowing my mind. I love it. I love it. Thank God for this movie. It makes living worthwhile. So I hope you enjoyed this little conversation and I hope you will come back and listen to more episodes of the Post Relevant Podcast. I'll be setting up a website and um, email and stuff so that if there are thoughts that you have, especially uh, in these initial stages of the Post Relevant Podcast, if you're a big fan of Under the Silver Lake and you want to write to me about your theories or the, your discoveries, uh, please, I uh, encourage you to share. Um, and uh, I encourage you to stick around, man. I don't know what I'm going to do after we finish discussing this um, film. I'm sure that the universe will give me my next assignment once, once this one is completed uh, effectively. But um, hopefully it will all, the other stuff, whatever I get into after this movie will be just as engaging as this film is. This film is a motherfucker. And hopefully your mind is going to be blown just like mine has been by it. So please do come back and we'll see what kind of trouble we get up into here on the Post Relevant Podcast. Hi, uh, this is Phil. You're here with me and brother Andy Restino. Say hello, brother hey, Andy. Hey, brothers, fellow brothers. Hey, fellow brothers and sisters. Hello, fellow babies. Um, here in Andy's, um, what would you call this space? This is my studio space. This is where all the magic happens. Yeah, this is where I work. Andy is a renowned illustrator and character designer for yeah. animation. Comic book artist and um, I everything's wanna... correct except for the renowned part. Renowned? No, yeah. you're renowned. I would right. say you're accurately renowned. Uh, most maybe acutely renowned. best known for his work on Adventure Time. Yeah, um, but now you're currently working on. Uh, can you talk about what the show's called at all? You know, or... I they've announced it, but I'm not uh, sure how much I can actually say. You're working uh, on a Fox cartoon. Yeah, a new Fox cartoon that's coming out in the next year or two. Um, what are you with... doing for it? I'm the lead designer on the show, and I, I'm working with Dan Harmon. So if you look up Dan Harmon's new project, you can figure out what it is. Nice. I don't think they've announced the name yet. Okay. Um, oh, but there is there. So there's, there's an no, article out about the show. About the show, but nothing specifically about what it's about or anything yeah. like that. Um, but you think, uh, are, how do you feel about it? Is it exciting? It's good, yeah. Project? It's yeah. You know, I, I've been a fan of Dan's work for a long time. We've both uh -huh. gone and seen him do Harmontown Live a few times. That's and... right. Oh, do you remember? Do you remember we were at, okay, so Andy's been in the in the animation industry for a while, and we both used to live in L.A. Yeah. And there was one year we went down to Comic-Con. Oh, and, yeah. And that was probably the year that you were, you had your own table, you know, yeah. with your work. And um, you got me cast in, in, oh, that, in Kent Osborne, in Kent, and, uh, Kent Osborne's film. Uh, well, it wasn't Kent, his film. Uncle Kent too. Yeah, directed was, by Todd Rohal. Yeah, it was a Todd Rohal film. 
Um, Starring Kent, called Uncle Kent, too. And I, I, I got a role. I went down just to hang out at Comic-Con, and I end up in a movie. And actually, maybe one of the most interesting films I've ever been in in my life. <laughs> just and, by uh, random happenstance. Yeah, just by happenstance. And so I think one night we were at a party at some bar, and mm-hmm. standing next to us was Dan Harmon. Yeah. And you pointed him out to me, Yeah. and you said, that's Dan Harmon, he's famous for... Community and whatever, yeah, yeah. and I was like, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea who he was, and I didn't give a shit. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I had never talked uh, to him. I was scared to talk to him. He, he uh, also seemed, you know, maybe a little drunk. He so, could have been drunk. Yeah. He was literally just standing there, yeah. staring into space, yeah. like right next to us. So we didn't meet him that night, but um, later on, Andy kind of got me into Harmontown and uh the podcast yeah the podcast and we went i don't know if i went more than once to see yeah i went maybe four or five times wow i wish i had gone more because it's it was so good yeah at at its height when it was before he got sort of bogged down with stuff (laughs) and and maybe before do we see him pre-trump is that yeah, possible? Yeah, it was all pre-Trump. So pre-Trump, before, like once Trump happened, then he really started, he got so serious and it was yeah. less, the podcast was less fun. Yeah, I think that's probably true. For a little while. Yeah. Least. And um, and then I think he kind of started trying to get, like, he was disinterested in the podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so now at this point in 2021, you're working with him and yeah you say you get to be in meetings with yeah. him online yeah i'm in meetings with him and uh-huh. the other show creators online uh-huh. it's pretty cool and it's it's great like he can't make it to every meeting but when he does make it usually the meetings go really long and it's just like you it's like being at harmontown you're just kind of listening to his train of thought he starts talking about one thing and then he's talking uh-huh. about what he thinks about this and the world and kind of like his thoughts on this one aspect of the world or this character, and he just kind of rambles for a while and mm-hmm. takes over the meeting. And uh, it, um, do people try to stop him from rambling, or does you can't, they, they, no, they, you think they're really. going to be Some, little nuggets inside yeah, of the ramble? Yeah, I mean, I think we don't get much time. We like we're in the design department, and we don't get much time with him because he's he's writing on this show, and then I feel like he has maybe one or two other things he's writing at the same time. Yeah, uh, and and of course Rick and Morty. Right. Also, right. on top of that. So, we get him for such a limited amount of time. And so, mm-hmm. anytime we get him to ramble, we can glean nuggets about his thoughts on what the show is like and what the world is like. Mm-hmm. And and that's great because then we have stuff we can actually be like, okay, he wants this. We can go in that direction. Yeah. Uh, and does, and uh, like from what I know about your history, the subject matter of this show is kind of relevant yeah, it's a relevant. It's a relevant to a much younger, to a Andy. younger Andy. Yeah, like yeah, a, maybe a junior high school, high school. Yeah, Andy, where, which is neat. Yeah, totally. that's really neat. Totally. So, does he? Do you see him coming from a perspective on the subject matter that, like, does he ever say things that you're like, oh, I always thought that about the, you know, about the subject matter. the subject matters. Yeah, yeah. Um, or does he have a completely different take on the whole thing and? It's a different take. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I think what he... So, if you look up the the show, if you look up the new Dan Harmon project, they mention it takes place in, like, Greek mythology world. Okay. So, I think I can say that safely. Okay. And, uh... Or if not, then it's a beep mythology. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you let me know. <laughs> um, and... 
And so I think what he likes about that is it, it's, that's like the foundation of all drama yeah. comes from that stuff. Right, Do right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't know. I want to say more, but I don't, I think that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, but, but I think he's like, there's direct correlations between what he likes to write yeah. and that stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and you're, and it's relevant to you because you like Greek salads. I do like Greek, I, feta. I'm all about feta huh. cheese <laughs> and olives. Feta, they call you, uh, yeah. they're the, like the feta go-getter. I know. Well, I used to go to this one restaurant and I get Greek salad every day and they're like, aren't you fed up of these salads? <laughs> fed up of these. Yeah. Are you sure that wasn't an Italian yeah. restaurant? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a fed up of these. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's really exciting. And what do you and you you've been saying you don't think this show is gonna necessarily reach the air and for like at least a year or two. Yeah, yeah. We're uh -huh. just at like storyboarding just started a few uh -huh. weeks ago, and yeah, uh, we haven't like we've been doing pre-design stuff, but we haven't even started official real design. Now, is there anything that you already had conceived of in the past that you realized was relevant for the designs that you're creating? No, for this? nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing from my past is usable in this show, which is great. <laughs> that's awesome. Because that... So then it's invention. The yeah. whole thing is invention for yeah. you, and that's what you were looking for, I would yeah. assume. Um, if you've never had a chance to see any of Andy's design work, it's freaking great. And uh, what I like the most about Andy's design is that uh, there's such a level of specificity and individuality in each character that he creates. And... Um, you know, like a lot of, especially comic book artists, sometimes they just have this one style they draw in and everybody, you know, like those famous, you know, like someone drawing the X-Men and everybody looks like Cyclops or whatever, right. you know. And uh, what's cool about Andy is that... Wait, are you, are you referencing Cyclops Wars? When I definitely am. Yeah. Cyclops? What do you mean? Just, what are you talking about? I'm just making up an X crossover. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Cyclops <laughs> Where everyone Wars. looks like... Everyone gets yeah. Cyclops powers. Yeah. Uh, it's the, uh, um, uh, X. That's the one with the, the, the X agenda. Snakes. Yeah. The X snake agenda. Yeah. 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 Great. Good podcasting. <laughs> Good work on my part. Right, so you can cut. Uh, that's cut I'm an improv genius. Up. And that's what I came up with in the moment was yeah. nothing. Um, but, um, it's pretty deep. Uh, you know, uh, and by the way, hopefully, when Marvel does and starts doing the X Men movies, they'll get someone will finally get Cyclops right. I'm I'm looking no, you forward you're to not, it. You're not down with him being portrayed as a complete douchebag asshole. No. <laughs> and dying off screen. Yeah. No, not into it. He just got he got turned into mist. He was still on screen. Right. Yes. <laughs> perfect a perfect death for the most important character in the X Men franchise. Um. <laughs> uh, and also I hope they don't bring Hugh Jackman back as much as I like him as Wolverine yeah, I would be I agree. psyched for a new one although if you could do if you could prolong any character uh, any actor playing any character you could do it with Wolverine because mm -hmm. he's a million years old mm -hmm. so you could you could make an excuse for it but um, anyway neither here nor there the reason that Andy and, oh so what I well what I wanted to finish saying first was that 
you, if you're interested, you should go check out Andy's design work. Uh, you put out a lot of character designs on your website, yeah, right? Yeah, just that it's andyristino.com. Andyristino.com. That's R-I-S-T-A-I-N-O. That's how our name is spelled. Yes. And um, you'll find tons of really amazing art and comics, full-on comic books that you can buy. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure a lot of links to a lot of special shit. Mm-hmm. And all of Andy's great design. So uh, go on over and check out his design work. It's incredible. You'll Please like do. it. You will like it. And you're on Instagram too. Yeah. Yeah. And you can find links to all that stuff mm-hmm. on my website. Yeah. So the real reason that we're here talking together is that we are both big fans of the movie Under the Silver Lake. That's right. Right. Um, and uh, we just had a family outing up in Maine over the past week. And I was certain that Andy and I were finally going to get to sit down and rewatch <laughs> Under the Silver Lake and do a podcast about it. But it just didn't work out. So um, we have a, like an hour. Well, we have a little bit of time right now to just talk. And I thought we would pregame about um, what we recall from the movie from previous viewings and what we think is what we recall as being special about it and uh, maybe any theories that we might have and stuff like that and uh, or just it or just you know anything that struck you as important about this movie the reason um, I'm not gonna speak for Andy I think Andy saw the f- film before I did yes and I had wanted to watch this film after probably hearing about it on it Red, Red Letter, Letter Media. Media. I yeah. bet it was probably the first place I saw it, I heard about it, but I could swear I'd run into it somewhere else as well. Yeah, I I was just, right before we were recording, I was trying to think mm-hmm. of of it too, because I feel like Red Letter Media, their review was the thing that prompted me to go watch it, mm-hmm. but I feel like I had seen the trailer, it, yeah. it was already on my radar before, yeah. but I, didn't, I just didn't know anything about right. it, and then... You know, like, I'm big fans of those guys, and, and mm-hmm. they generally pretty good reviews. I, I don't totally agree with everything they say, mm-hmm. or or like a lot of some of the movies they love, mm-hmm. but this one sounded completely up my alley, and... For some reason. Yeah. And, right. and I, I also feel like if you take the Red Letter movie guys, I think I tend to veer more towards, like, what... Jay likes Jay, yes. You know, like he's he's. Although the more, Mike is the Star Trek fan. Yeah, Mike is the Star Trek. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess I. Mm-hmm. I, I but Mike also. It's likes, harder to know what the Mike fuck likes Mike likes as movies. Schlock. What does he like for films though? Right. No, he likes garbage kind of. He does. Yeah. As movies, garbage movies. But he knows that. Like he kind of. Okay. Like, like he, he likes like travesties and. Okay. <laughs> you know, like like what? Do you know what? Can you give an example of I, a film that he really likes? Like he said, he he liked Independence Day. Ooh, you know, like, but he knows it's terrible. Okay, you know what I mean. Like, okay, got it. Or he liked uh, X Men Apocalypse or whatever. What's the I like that movie. I know you did, but I mean it's terrible, right, but it's exactly. also really yeah. cool. Yeah, I like both things about yeah. it. Yeah, whereas Jay's more into like kind of art house cinema. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not as into the horror stuff. Right, that, like that's the stuff I don't yeah, agree with him on. But. Yeah. But he but tends to like taste. weirder, more interesting stuff. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he seems a little more open-minded in terms of, uh, yeah, art house movies or little-known movies that might yeah. have like he, some merit to them. I, I feel like Mike is digging into, like, bad movies. Uh-huh. And Jay is digging into, like, 
esoteric weird movies. I'd be really curious to hear what their lists of the their favorite movies movies, really are, though, because I, you know, I just listened to this podcast with uh, Tarantino and Edgar Wright, which was really interesting. And and you can find these podcasts. Some of them are done by uh, the the podcast that is done for his theater for the New Beverly. Um. And some of them are just other uh, Empire Magazine. I think they they've been doing a series with him, and Tarantino loves to do these three yeah. three plus hour. Long. Oh yeah, that guy loves to talk. So, um, and he knows everything about movies. Yeah. And so him and Edgar Wright was really cool to listen to since they're both like huge cinephiles. Yeah. And they were going through the lists of um, British films that actually uh, Edgar Wright got a list from uh, Scorsese. Yeah. And so, um, and that's a joke the way I'm saying that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> like Scorsese is a huge cinephile and he knows, like, it had apparently a deep history of British cinema, you know, from way back in the day until modern day. And, um, so just listening to them go down the list of all these old British movies and right. what they know about them and what they love about them. And, uh, recently, I heard uh, Tarantino talking about films that are, um, what's the word for it? You know, when it's there's no longer a copyright on it. Oh yeah, um, you know what I mean. Like in the old, public domain. Yeah, public domain films. He's I've got a podcast with him. Like it's a, probably like a four hour show yeah. of him just talking about public nice. domain movies. Apparently, Tarantino loves YouTube. Yeah, and that you, the like free movies that you can find right. on YouTube, which is fascinating. Because he's such a fan of the history. Anyway, I mean that's neither here nor there. But uh, I'd be interested to hear about the Red Letter Media guys and what right. the films they actually love, love are. Because you don't really hear them reference. Right. You know, they're the greats. They're right. But anyway, this Silver Lake movie um, appealed to both of us. Andy, you want to say what about what about it uh, initially well, appealed mean, to you? I Why just... you thought it was one? Of, it was a movie for you. I... You know, I don't know. It just had this weird, like, you could tell immediately, uh, and I know trailers are meant to grab your attention, but this mm-hmm. grabbed your attention in a different way. Mm-hmm. It was mysterious, mm-hmm. and it it just looked like it tapped into, like, just live, it tapped into L.A. culture in a yeah. way that a lot of movies don't get, mm-hmm. and, uh, or at least modern L.A. culture. Like, mm-hmm. there's this amazing history of movies set in L.A., and this seemed like, of its time, completely yeah um and i don't know it was kind of like i feel like the trailer was about like it just looked like a slacker (laughs) mystery crime Uh like uh noir kind of yeah in a way and uh um you know i like that andrew garfield was in it like a really uh, yeah why i don't know uh-huh. I there's no reason. That's it's just so kind of like like seeing him in a movie like that was kind of like I was like, oh cool, he's doing something like oh he's doing a weird movie. He's doing a weird movie, uh-huh. you know? Because I I hadn't even seen like the Spider Man movies. He's oh, done. really yeah, really so, yeah. No, I've, I haven't seen either. No of them. way. Oh, that's but, amazing. Uh, but for some reason, seeing uh-huh. him in this movie, uh, uh, yeah, and it just kind of like the tone just seemed, it seemed funny, but not. Uh, it kind of had a tone kind of like The Big Lebowski has, right. where it's a comedy, but it's not really a comedy. It's yeah. just, you're just watching these people who are kind of buffoonish in a yeah. way. You know, and that's what it seemed like maybe at the trailer, maybe a little darker than The Big Lebowski. Yeah, I would say it's far less uh, 
presented as a comedy. Yeah, no, and it's the not. Big Lebowski is where, I, like the the Coens, they're like, here's a funny movie, here's yeah. a serious movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and the Big Lebowski is more or less presented as a funny movie. Right, I would say. Yeah, even though it's obviously got more to yeah. it than that, but uh, yeah, and I feel like the humor in Under the Silver Life uh-huh. is just from. They're not making jokes in the movie at all. They're just kind of like... Yeah. It's just kind of the people are funny. Yeah. You know, and the way they behave are strange. Yeah. And idiosyncratic. Yeah. And uh, I... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I it just... Something about it Something about special. it seems special. I was uh-huh. also living in L.A. and right. I'd, you know, walked around Silver Lake a bunch of times. So, right. You know, obviously that's interesting also. It's yeah. just like... After you've lived in L.A., you right. watch any movie that's set in L.A., and you're like, oh, that's Echo Park. Oh, that's... Right. That's Los Feliz. You know, yeah. like, like you're like, oh, I've been there. You yeah. know, like, I know where that place is. Yeah. Uh, or you're... or you're, If you're not saying that, you're like, where is where that? Where is that? Yeah. <laughs> but it always looks familiar. Yeah. That movie especially, every location looks familiar yeah. to me. Um, I, uh, I'm a huge... We're both huge Big Lebowski fans. Yeah. And I would say, like, two of my top films ever are Pulp Fiction and The Big Lebowski. Right. And they both have that wandering around L.A., yeah. you know, and and the and the realness of L.A., not the glamour. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, there, you know, that scene where, uh, in Pulp Fiction, where Bruce Willis goes back to get his watch. Yeah. And the, the, the camera follows him, like, through a fence. Right. And, you know, around the back of a of yeah. an apartment building and up into, and all of that is like really what LA looks right. like. You know totally. what I mean? Yeah. It's like sort of crummy. Yeah. Um, and um, and just sort of the way they, the, the sort of there's a sort of weird aimlessness, aimlessness to being in LA and traveling around LA, but there's also this weird sort of like uh, synchronous, mystical vibe that's yeah. there, sort of uh, under the. Uh, like subliminally that's always there yeah and, and that that's, exists that's in both LA, of those movies yeah and that's what LA feels like and that's what it feels like when you live there where you're always kind of like something's there's stuff working going on, on my brain yeah here. Right? not even that but then there's yeah. also like there's just weird stuff happening yeah. everywhere and, and yeah. that's under the Silver Lake really right. taps into that and there's also a quality to people there where they all feel like uh, everyone's working Right. Like, it's like, you go to a party, everyone's working the party, uh-huh. and, and trying to find an angle into something mm-hmm. better, you know, like, or right. another career move. Or, right. And and that, Under Silver Lake feels like that, where everyone's, like, it's kind of like, the main character is this nobody yeah. who, he, he keeps getting tapped into these things because... There's a mist. There's like a weird mysterious, mysterious twinkle in his eyes, uh-huh. and people see it and they're like, "Are you someone special?" Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and so he gets through all these doors because right. of that. And I feel like we both experienced that in yeah. our lives at different points of time, yeah. where you're just you're kind of like have this like imp energy, uh-huh. and people just are like, "Oh shit, this guy's kind of interesting," and come to our party, right. or or oh, you should go in the door, right. or you know, like, right. But when you get when they when the movie has an opportunity to let him monologue a little. You're he's just basically a creep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's a total a creep. lost weirdo. Yeah. Creeping around the city with yeah. no completely aimless. Yeah. And he's like the the modern version of like he's the next level of Lebowski where Lebowski's like a a 
super stoner who really is doing nothing with his life mm-hmm. and is not up to anything besides yeah. bowling and hanging yeah. out and smoking weed. And he is presented as a private detective. Yeah. And it's so... He's that kind of like Tao, Zen, like yeah. guy who just flows through right. whatever circumstance and people place on him whatever, whatever they yeah. want to. Yeah. And he's just just loose enough to go through it all uh with you know and and so that it allows him to end up anywhere that he needs to be to yeah. sort of, to quote unquote solve the case right but he's not really no, he's not on any case on a case i, I feel like yeah. and, and over the course of that movie it uh-huh. like starts out where he's not he's lebowski isn't even buying into the fact that he's on a case but then no by like halfway through the movie he starts using like yeah like that kind of terminology a lot of ins, a lot of outs, yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. Of what have you yeah you know and starts like acting bigger than he, uh-huh. he should be right you know? and and every time he does that he kind of gets put back in his place in right a way. you know like i don't know but does he think yeah so that's a good question just in terms of lebowski does he think he's solving a mystery what does he think he's doing there <laughs> I think he's trying to get his rug back. He man. Would, the dude just wants his rug back. Yeah, yeah. but he got it. Did he get his rug? Well, then he loses it. No, again. he got he got like a new rug, and then he yeah. loses that rug, yeah. and then uh, and it re- it really tied the room together. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's but true. yeah, I think I think then they get like promised the money, and I think he's just like, oh shit, like this might be an easy way to make a bunch of money. Yeah, you but know? in in the same way as Pulp Fiction, there are these weird coincidences and people's paths yeah know, kind of crossing over yeah. and and that well, because look la is all about traveling from one place to the yeah. next place that you know that it's all about that movement through the city and yeah. the, these crisscrossing lives and and the synchronicities that happen there and so um under the silver lake takes it one step further and that it's it thoroughly modern and that this guy is even has even less of an agenda than Lebowski does. And it seems like maybe possibly he's been surviving off of whatever money his mom might be giving him. Yeah. Because he's unemployed, thoroughly unemployed. And he never makes any notion that he's going to be working on anything anytime soon at any point in the film. Like, it's so bizarre. Like, what the hell is he doing with his life? Like, who... Who the fuck is this guy? Right. Why is he important? Yeah. And I don't know if you were... I don't know if I was watching something about this movie or you were talking about it, but mm-hmm. there's, like, this theory that, like... I, like, there's all these, these missing signs throughout the movie, and, like, some of it is, like, missing dogs. Dogs, right. But then a lot of it is, like, missing musical equipment and stuff like that. And then you and look around... he's got those his, guitars. Yeah, he's got all this expensive equipment wow. in his house, and so someone was saying that, like... He's been stealing guitars. He's stealing and selling, and selling it, and maybe that's what he's living off oh, of that too. Might be it, right? You know, like yeah, um, and good. not just guitars, whatever he can steal. Mm. You know, because because there is that like he's breaking into like right from yeah. the beginning. He just, he just breaks into a house, the and, blonde like, girl's apartment. Yeah. He very easily just slips right in there. Jimmy's the window open, and, and stuff. he seems to know like how to when how to sense if someone's gonna come in. Yeah. how to hide properly. Yeah. like the whole he's. He's so loosey goosey yeah. in the way he travels through the, the thing that he's uh, seems like he's definitely yeah. been burglaring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, in the past, like he seems to go anywhere he feels like. Right. And, and 
I mean, he doesn't even really have lies. He just has a non-ness to yeah. him that allows him to pass through yeah. whatever he's not like, gates like, he's trying to get through. Like in that movie uh, Nightcrawler, he's not like a super creep. Like, uh, what's that? Well, that thing? guy has a specific agenda. Yeah. To get and, and these to do films. whatever he wants, right? To, he he does whatever. He but it is a similar to. creep vibe. It's. I feel like it's different though. I feel like uh, the character in Under the Silver Lake just wants to like sleep with women. You know, like does he though? What does he actually want? I mean, I feel like what I like about him and the and the sense of people in that movie in Under the Silver Lake is that. There is. It's almost as if everyone's had their soul partially removed, right. so they're just barely people. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're just sort of like going to a party because, that's what, like you, you said, yeah. maybe there's something that'll happen to them there, or that's just what you do. Yeah, you go yeah, to these yeah. places, and they're hooking up with each other, but all of it feels completely meaningless, and they right. don't seem to care about anything right. really, even like the 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 important people like the older people that he comes into contact with they're all their agendas are completely worthless as well you know but they're presented as like modern day pharaohs or whatever but their their agendas are worthless they're empty everything's empty yeah and um so i feel like my experience in la you know you meet a lot of nice people but there's nothing there's no real relationships yeah, it's hard to have yeah, it's real hard to relationships. Make friends that you didn't have with before depth you moved there to the yeah. friendship. It's all people yeah. with like, I feel a lot of the people almost feel like they don't, they haven't, they don't know who they are yet, right? Or they're, they're they don't know who they're. It's almost like who am I supposed to be? Right. It's in like this. They situation. feel like they have to fit into a role because they're in mm-hmm. L.A. or something. Right. Because so much of L.A. is about like someone might hook you up. Right. Make your career. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and also the social pressure of like saying or doing the wrong thing and fucking yourself. Right. Right. In yeah. any situation. Yeah. Um, but it's all unspoken as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no one talks about it. So and so on, on top of that, there's this vibe in L.A. that I personally kind of think is sort of satanic. There's like right. a weird. Well, it's this weird like pagan like. Mm ritualistic mm-hmm. like kind of uh like excess mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. but there's also a vibe there's something in my mind there's something in the ether there like like uh i think another movie that might be kind of prescient in a and if you're into weirdness is uh um they live right and the way that there's something being broadcast right you know over the airwaves of the city and that's the vibe that i got in la is that something is is creating a pall over the consciousness of the city right. that's being broadcast across right. the city. And I even had these old computer speakers that must have had like magnets in them or something. Well, clearly, you know, speakers uh-huh. do. And they would pick up a signal that almost reminded me of the drone from the Hoth planet in, uh-huh. in Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. The, this ice drone at the beginning right, right. and it would make would and it was your speakers rec- would do this yeah they would pick up this recording that was being broadcast yeah when the speakers they were on but they weren't plugged into anything right. and they would pick up this repeating recording that you could never it was a voice but you never could understand what the voice was saying and it was doing it over and over again so it was i don't know what it was for but it was almost like lost where there's some right. sort of recording that's being broadcast across this mysteriously across this the city but you'd never know unless you accidentally stumbled upon it which right. i 
which I did. And I thought that was kind of like perfect for like this vibe, this underlying, yeah. underlying vibe to, uh, to the, 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 uh, the psychic ether of yeah. LA. And, and so I feel like, uh, under this silver, like perfectly encapsulates this psychic vibe that yeah. is underpinning everything right and that you see that this guy who does who is this sort of lost soul right has found himself caught up in right trying to unlock a mystery yeah. that may or may not be there right but that as you well know in your experiences and i've also had a similar experiences where um being sort of like at some point in my life more like psychologically fragile yeah. and and having a lot of synchronicities and weird things happen to you in a city environment, um, this guy is also in some sort of psychologically fragile state, and he's also like constantly, you know, either drunk or high or something yeah. like that. So he's just like uh, an open book for whatever might crawl into right. his psyche and yeah, and and uh, influence influence his mind. Yeah, you know, like what. It, that scene where he's been sprayed by the skunk, I think, and he's in the bathtub talking to his girlfriend, quote unquote girlfriend. girlfriend? Yeah, you know, yeah, what exactly. she is. Their relationship is right. So undefined, empty again. And I think he's talking about all the coincidences or the codes yeah. or whatever. And you start to see like she's sort of slightly affected by how crazy he sounds, yeah. but just barely. Yeah, you know, and he sounds like a lunatic. Yeah. But that, that what I think it, the filmmaker is purposefully, what I think is special about this movie, which we've been sort of like roundaboutly trying to get at, and what I think appeals to me and probably you is that um, as far as we can tell in what in investigation we've already done about this movie, there are number codes yeah. all over the film yeah, um, and map coordinates. Yeah. Um, so there are secret codes layered into the images in the film that you can decipher and that people have started to decipher. Yeah. yeah. And on our last, uh, our last watch of the film where we watched it together, and have we watched it together more than once? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But uh, we kind of, we I discovered it that... with Carl or Mark? Mark. Mark. Did we watch it together with Carl? I don't know. I don't know if we watched it with Carl. I don't think so. Okay. Those are our brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the last time we watched it, I started to really see these alchemical um, symbols that are in the movie. Right. And you, I mean, there are clearly like these Egyptian references throughout All the film. All over the place, yeah. But there's other stuff too. And I really started to see it this time. I was like, right. oh my God, these things are not, like this isn't just happening in my mind. This right. person has really right. done this in the film. Right, yeah. And yeah, just like, like the number codes, those right. are really there. Yeah. They're not just... No. But but the but the main character who seems to be slightly insane is obsessed with these with these codes. sorts of yeah. ideas. And there are points in the movie where he makes leaps in logic that don't make sense and solves codes. Yeah, like the like the overlay of the yeah, maps, yeah, the yeah. two maps. Yeah. Which should not overlay well, it at should all. Should not work. It's <laughs> impossible what he does, but and yet it and yet it reveals information to right. him. And so, you know, it's like what is real? And what is in this guy's mind? And yeah. why did the filmmaker create this film that's totally laden with with symbols and codes, right. in my mind? And I, I, in my mind, I love 
that I'm fascinated with that our society now has really gone deep into interpreting film on right. a deep level. And, you know, probably half of the interpretations are completely wrong. Right. But probably every once in a while someone really stumbles on something that, uh, you know, filmmakers like Kubrick or whoever were coding into their movies where they don't want to outrightly just say, this is what this film is about right. and here's what I'm trying to show you. Instead, you know, they're using symbolism and composition and right. color and and probably even referencing other films right. if you really want to go deep into sure. it. And uh, using that as ways to tell, to give information to the viewer and create more depth in their um, in their films, uh, but that you know, because there are artists who really gave a shit about every millimeter of film, you know that they that they put their. It's not just about commerce for certain filmmakers. It's really about this deep love of film and this love of art and what it can really do. Right. You know how and how it can work on you on level on several levels at the same time and that like a wonder like a really great painting or you know a great story or whatever like film can be a high work of art that right. exists on on multiple levels that is there for the viewer to decipher and so what i find fascinating is that this filmmaker who seems to be a fairly young filmmaker yeah has um has taken it upon himself to make that kind of a film probably pretty early in his career. Right. Um, which, it's going to be one of those movies like The Big Lebowski, which is a slow burn. People will come to right. it and slowly discover, wow, this really is a a really wonderfully, you know, incredibly well-made movie yeah. that is saying a lot more than you initially think. And so it's easy to just watch this film and take it on its face level and be like, this is just about a, an asshole and like people who don't right. give a shit about anything. And what was that? What did that film mean? Why did that guy make that movie? Right. But um, with, I think, further viewings, you'll really start to, you can really dig in and see like that the filmmaker is up to something yeah. and that it's fun to I, try to decipher what he's up yeah. to. I mean, it, it's rare that a movie comes out that you're like, I know for me, I, I immediately wanted to watch it again. After right. I watched it. And, you know, I, I don't remember everything, but I've definitely watched the movie like five or six times by this time. Uh -huh. You know, like, and uh, I still want to watch it again. Like, yeah. I'm still down to watch it again. And yeah. uh, uh, I don't know. I think that's just rare, mm -hmm. especially in modern day movies. Yeah, that he could do so much with that. Yeah. I don't even know how long it is, but I assume it's two hours ish. Yeah. And that he really, there's all this mythologizing within the film right. about different kinds right. of art. But then it's it's just this really epic, nice. it's this epic journey too, right. and through like all these different environments and uh, there's something about like it's very theatrical, yeah. And but in like a way where it's not theatrical at all, right? And, and the behavior is so idiosyncratic yeah. of all the people in the movie, yeah. That you just like. It like draws you into the movie because you're watching these people behave and you're like, what is he doing now? And yeah. like, why are those people doing that? <laughs> and, you know, like it's completely fascinating. And then once you watch it like once or twice, you're just looking for more clues. And he's giving you, he's setting you up for with all these clues. Yeah. But that you wouldn't, 
because it's so mysterious and you're left going like, really, what was the point of that movie? What was that really about initially? Right. Watching it. Then you can go, you could go scene to scene and be like, oh, in this scene, the dolls next to her television right. are relevant to characters that are introduced later on. Right. And Yeah, there are these like... Uh, Triplets that yeah. go through the movie. And there's also doubles. Yeah. Like people who are doubles of other people. Right. And um, and there's even that thing at the end where his ex-girlfriend is on the billboard and they're, right. repla- they're covering up the with billboard a, with, a clown. With, a, with like a Ronald McDonald <laughs> yeah, clown. Yeah. And so the, there's a bifurcation yeah. there, like a double again. Yeah. And so every time he does things like that, and there's also codes on that billboard right. too. Totally. So he's doing that purposefully, but it's easy to just gloss over it and be like, "That's just weird. What's yeah. that all about?" Right. You know. Yeah. But he's really like layering it in, and it's really there, in this wonderful way to be solved. It's right. a mystery to be solved. The film yeah. is a mystery to be solved, right. and it's asking you to solve it. I think. Yeah. And uh, and what I think is also interesting about the movie is there's that. The pivotal scene where he goes to the the songwriters. Right, I was wondering mansion. if we were going to talk about this because I know you you have a great theory about all this stuff. He he goes to the songwriters' mansion, and this weird part is that the songwriter is clearly a guy in make old right. man makeup. Right. Yeah, why yeah, yeah. did he do that? I don't know. I wonder if that guy is somebody else in the yeah, movie. Probably. Yeah. I wonder who he is because it's so weird. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of Biff from Back to the Future yeah. a little bit, Back like to old Egypt Biff. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But anyway, he goes on this whole monologue about how he's the ghostwriter for all these famous tunes. Yeah. And they're there to manipulate culture, and he's laughing at him. Right. Um, and how he's laughing at the main character and how, what a fool he is for caring about these things. Right. And, and for some reason, he even knows, he seems to know that the, that the, the, the main character sort of idolizes Kurt Cobain. Right, exactly, yeah. How would he even know that? Right. Well, he, he asks about the guitar. Oh. I think that's what prompts that. Uh, he's, got mm. Kurt, he's like, is this Kurt Cobain's guitar or something Right. Like Does he steal a guitar from him? I don't know. I wonder. He might. And so... He definitely uses a guitar for something. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to reveal like a couple things that I think right here that I'm sure we'll go back to once we rewatch it and talk for real about it. Yeah. But um, there's a whole thing about a dog killer, right? Yeah. And in that first scene when he's looking through the cafe window, it's got it's, it's dog killer it's, backwards, right. which I think is purposely there to say God killer. Right. And that this guy has killed, he's, his like God is sort of dead to him, and and that's why his life is so meaningless. But he's looking for meaning, so he's trying to find God back into right. his life. And um, when he goes to, uh the the songwriter's house and he murders him so yeah. now he's killed God again right because the songwriter is sort of presented as like this godlike figure living right. way up on a hill in a mansion right. and and he right. knows and, all and it's like he goes and talks to to Jesus and Jesus right points the way towards him right kind of, I mean, oh that's right yeah he's yeah. written the song for Jesus yeah and, that's right oh, yeah. I I I think maybe I'd made that connection before but that's you've brought that up before too and that's a really great yeah it's this, this, this really is really the Brides of Dracula right 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 and it's that's a band yeah. that's in the that's in the yeah. thing and, and he, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched this movie you he's trying to decipher this band's songs yeah so that's he, one of the things he's yeah. trying to the main character is trying to decipher <laughs> he and so he goes to the, the guy songwriter and, yeah he beats up Jesus in the bathroom right 
And then later on, he goes to the songwriter's house, and the songwriter is has ghost written their biggest songs. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it's revealed that he wrote "Smells Like Teen Spirit" right. and yeah, and a bunch of other big songs oh, from like implied. the fifties and the sixties. Well, yeah, it's implied, but yeah. I think it's yeah, I think that that's what's he saying? What saying. And then he murders him, so right. he's killed God in that moment, right. and um, uh, you know, like, um. It's just fascinating. So he's really trying, he's really playing with like mythology and, and, and mystery and art and, and hidden messages in art throughout the ages. And, yeah. and, um, that there's this deeper mystery to life, I think, that's there to be investigated. Um, and, and that kind of creates like a, uh, uh, you know, like a deeper understanding of your own life if you're willing to do right. that. And so that's what I think is, I don't want to use the word important about the movie, but that's what's valuable about it is that it's there to stimulate that kind right. of activity for the viewer and that could lead you to other, investigating other parts of the world right? and getting deeper meaning and value out of other parts of life when, especially in these days where the world seems so crazy. And, right. And, right. And, uh, well, and, and, and it's kind of like, oh, yeah. well, if there are all these codes and all these songs, mm -hmm. you, you start to apply that to the movie itself. Right. And then you're like, well, wait, is... is Because you were saying the filmmakers... I just, re yeah, I just remembered. Yeah. So I think that maybe... Is it possible, I want to present this idea, that it might be possible that the film itself was ghostwritten. Right, exactly. Because you're like, how did this young guy write this... This of this, this level of depth, yeah. It seems like there's so much to this movie. I mean, I'm 50, and I probably it will take me a while to really decipher this movie. Yeah. After I, decades of trying to understand some of this crazy esoteric shit, yeah. Um, and I be just barely understand a lot of it. Um, but I've seen enough symb symbology and other aspects of esoteric uh, art and literature and what have you that I know. I I saw it for real in this movie and was like, yes, that's definitely happening in this film. Yeah. And then there's all the codes. Yeah. And just the way the construction of the film itself is so complex and mature that I'm wondering if it's possible. I'm willing to be, I could, I'm probably wrong, but I, I like this as an idea. What if this movie itself is ghostwritten by someone right. who has more experience in all this stuff and, and it's like a, it's something that Hollywood has put out there, you know, to uh -huh. re relay some information to the people. Right. Or stimulate, uh, uh, even stimulate, like, spiritual or psychic growth in a right. person by watching it in the right. same way that they say that 2001 was designed as, like, an alchemical right. film that will stim that will uh, create some form of enlightenment, enlightenment in the consciousness mm. of, the, of the viewer, which... Personally, having watched 2001 over and over again since I was a little kid, it always has had that yeah. mystical vibe to it, you yeah. know, in a real big way. And so I feel like, yeah, that movie definitely affected me yeah. in a real way. And so what I love about this movie is it presents this emptiness, but that underneath it, it's riddled with meaning. Yeah. So that's an incredible feat. Right. For and, and in some art. ways, the whole movie is about like the search for meaning. Right. You know? Mm. And the like, it's kind of like if you're in that headspace, and you're walking around, you're gonna 
see messages from God all over the place. Right, you know? right, right. And is it that is that a real headspace or is that just being insane or right? Or what's the fine so, line yeah. between yeah. insanity and, and, uh, and mysticism, mysticism or intuition yeah. or what have you? So. Um, that's there? kind of where we're coming yeah. from for this film. Andy and I are both going to watch the movie separately, and then hopefully in the near future we're going to have another conversation yeah. online where we'll really try to break it down and reveal each part what we discovered in yeah. the rewatch and yeah. see if we can come up with anything new. Yeah, you know, I'm hoping that in, with that between the two of us we'll have something new to offer because I know there are other people trying to decipher this movie. Right. So hopefully we'll discover a couple new things and maybe it'll add to the conversation of. What's valuable about this film, and yeah, and why it's why it's a uh, something to really be, uh, you know, investigated or at least enjoyed by the modern film watcher. Right. <laughs> yep. yep. That's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. So um, you know, um, there's gonna be uh, you know, come right back and. Um, We'll talk about the movie itself, but it'll have been at least a week or whatever. It'll be yeah. time will have passed between this conversation and the next one. Um, yep. But thanks, Andy. Oh and yeah, thanks, Phil. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, going through this movie with yeah, you. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's fun to find a movie that we both are yeah jiving on that we both vibed on. Yeah. Yep. So uh, stay with us. We'll be back with our. Uh, Investigation and interpretation of Under the Silver Lake. Thanks again for listening to episode zero of the Post Relevant Podcast. You can find me, Phil Restino, online at the website thesearedreams.com. That's the word these, the word are, the word dreams.com. Also at philrestino.com. You can also find me at Phil Restino on Facebook or Instagram. And please stick around. Uh, the next episode will actually be episode one, where uh, Brother Andy and I begin our in-depth search through the wonderful film Under the Silver Lake. I think you're going to find it most intriguing. Um, and uh, just as an extra treat, I thought I would uh, end the show with a song that I co-created uh, maybe it was back in 2008 or 2010, something like that, uh, with a great songwriter and producer, Alan Tobin. Uh, we uh, created a project under the name Agents of Venus, and this is actually the post-relevant movement song. Um, so if you ever really want to know what the post-relevant movement is, or isn't, or is both is and isn't, this song will explain it all for you, and uh, it's a pretty crazy tune. I think you're going to dig it. All right. Hope to talk to you soon. Peace and love. Focus on the focus on
Take 